Hello and welcome to this episode of The Prestige, a podcast by film lovers for film lovers. Each week we take a movie, um, which is around the theme, currently being directors, and we talk about it and we discuss some of the ideas and themes that that movie throws up. But as always, we start end the show with our recommendations for other movies, further reading, if you will. But as always, we start the show with our what else we've been watching, what other movies we try to get in, or TV shows, or even just anything we've managed to slip in this week in amongst parenting duties and work and watching the movies week. So Sam, do you have anything for us this week? Some time ago, I changed this section in the show notes to this week's media, and I'm quite glad I did because I have not seen a film. Um, I've not even seen TV. Uh, and I want to talk about a book which counts as media but does not count as the other two. Um, and this is a book that my son got me for Christmas, although given his current age and purchasing power, I think it probably wasn't him that bought it. Did you buy it for yourself, really? <laughs> <laughs> no, my wife got it. That would be quite sad. Um, and it's Robert Webb's How Not to Be a Boy. And he has, it's it's basically, it's a glorified autobiography, but it does have interesting things to say, which I, I know you're interested in about masculinity, toxic masculinity, and what society expects of male children versus female children. And it's, it's just, it's presented in a very interesting way, and he's a very engaging writer, and it's it's enjoyable to read, and it doesn't take too much brain power. Always which is what's good. Needed at the moment. Yes. How about you? Um, well, I I actually this week it wasn't one I watched this week, but it has one that I've watched previously. I wanted to mention that I don't think I have, and that is a film. It was released last year, but it's a Netflix movie rather than a, a cinema movie, um, and that is The Babysitter, directed by by Muck G, who uh, did Charlie's Angels and a few things back in the day. Essentially, it's a, it's a, a, a slasher horror film, uh, but rather than the babysitter being the victim, the babysitter is the slasher, um, and it's about the adventures or the, the survival of of the twelve year old Cole who's being babysat um, by B uh, when she turns out to be a satanist killer. This isn't spoilers. This is all in the trailer. If you've not seen it, um, the fact that uh, the babysitter turns around to be the bad guy is is an early twist to the movie, shall we say? Um, and it's, it's just it's it's good smart horror film. It's it's sort of it's violent in its way. It has things to say in the way that most good slasher films do. Um, and the sort of the the two leads of Samara Weaving and Judah Lewis are both very good, um, and both bring believability, but also the right edge of heightened horror to the story. It's on Netflix now. Um, if you are on Netflix, you will have seen adverts for it because it's one of their originals. So they push it pretty hard. Um, it certainly did towards the end of last year. Um, so yeah, if you haven't, if you, if you like horror, or even like one thing that's a bit smarter than it's not, it's not a slasher. It's not a a gory film in the way other films are. What it does have gore. If you are interested in the, in that end of the horror genre, this is one to count. Oh, good. I've seen uh, as as you suggested, they they popularise it quite a lot, and I have seen adverts for it. And I thought from the way it was presented, I instantly. Even from the way that she is presented on the poster and the the typeface, I thought, no, I know exactly what this is about. So I don't need to see the trailer to know the babysitter's the killer. Yes. Um, and I just, well, I, I was a bit sceptical about it. 
Because I thought, well, eh, okay, it's an interesting concept, but if so, what? But yeah. if you say it's, it's a bit better than that, then yes, yeah, I mean, yeah. It, it certainly stands out from the other sort of smorgasbord of of horror films that sit in this genre. And I know mm. I've, I've watched most of them, um, but uh, this <laughs> one is is it's good, it's funny, it's got some brilliant supporting actors actors from the rest of the friends and her friends and his friends. Um, and yeah, and it features one of my favourite character actors of all time, Ken Mourinho, who has been in lots of things you'd know from lots of things. Uh, but he plays Cole's father, and I think he's mm. a lot of fun. Good. Well, we are continuing then with our mini season of Inarity films. The latest this week's offering is the 2006 film Babel. Richard, why did we come here? In the beginning, all the Lord's people from all parts of the world spoke one language. So Babel is the last in in Yaratu's trilogy of death, although I'm increasingly sceptical about this. I don't think he ever called it this. I wonder, I will Google and find out who whoever called it this. Um, anyway, like his earlier work, Babel presents three more or less connected narratives, this time in three different countries. So you have the story of an American woman shot by accident in Morocco while on holiday to save her marriage, the story of her kids and their Mexican babysitter, who has to take them with her to her son's wedding back home when she can't get anyone to look after them. And the story of the original owner of the gun who shot the American, who's the Japanese father of a traumatised deaf schoolgirl. And there are good performances from the frontline cast, Brad Pitt and Kate Blanchett, but then some other really good ones from... Been like Koji Kusho as the as the Japanese father, and there's some good performances in in the Mexican storyline as well, including a, a cameo from a young uh, Michael Pena. Not not so young, but young in terms of his career. Um, so Rob, what do you think? This film, this film, this film. If anyone listens to the last episode, they know that I overly wasn't keen on uh, 21 Grams as a movie. But I at least respected its attempt to do something interesting. This film appeared to have brought over all the bad traits of 21 Grams and brought nothing good with it, personally. As Sam says, the acting throughout is excellent. Um, I really can't fault any of the um, people, individual people in the story, but it was a good hour too long. The editing and the direction brought nothing interesting to it and at a certain point I got tired of the idea of wading through the soulless misery of humanity that this film seemed to present and its sort of last minute uptick towards maybe some sort of possible happy ending were all marred by elements of, of destruction and distrust I did not enjoy this film on any level um, it failed to be interesting character wise, story wise, visually anything I would say I, 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 I echo Sam's work that the, the the acting is brilliant, and this is one of the films that I do hold up as to people who often dismissed Brad Pitt as a um, a pretty boy 
blockbuster actor. I think if you watch the film, it's very clear to see that he he, that is, he isn't that. Um, he, he he brings depth to this certainly. And whilst I don't rate Kate Blanchett at all, um, she thankfully spends most of this movie lying on the floor being quiet. Uh, <laughs> I there's been a lot of criticism I've seen online of the Japanese storyline and how it relates to the other three, and I will grant it's certainly less connected than the other three. Um, but I still thought it was one of the most it was it was the better of the four stories um, that that the movie brought that they tried to link together. So what what counts as the four then? So the four to me would be um, the Mexican um, trip. Mm. You've got the tales of Brad Pitt and his wife. You've got the Japanese storyline, and very literally linked to Brad's storyline would be the uh, the goat herders from from Morocco. Oh, I see. Yes. So because yeah. I think there are two. Whilst those are much similar places, there there are two distinct storylines happening there. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, and I do think that they that the Japanese storyline would be being the most remote to the rest of the world. There is a, a certainly a a more of a, a throughput to that story that I bought into. Now, Sam, as we've often discussed, this is more your director than mine, um, and I'm intrigued to know what you thought of probably the most westernised and mainstream of the of the trilogy of death, as you call it. Right. Hmm. Um. I I will preface what I'm about to say with I think I have always said that this film, and I stand by it, that because of its acting performances and because of I suppose as sort of a hangover of goodwill from his earlier films with Vinyarisu and me I would put this above in terms of quality above about 90% of the films I've ever watched and I know when we look back at films when we did that retrospective of various films in different years this was my film of 2006 and I I stand by both of those decisions. I I like lots of things about this film. Having said all that, I'm entirely in agreement with you because this film I this this seemed to do what Morris Perez and Twenty One Grams was doing, but not as well. And I didn't really understand how the Japanese storyline connected. What I did understand, it just felt a bit too tangential. And yeah, this this film, going back to it, was not for me. I I did did enjoy it the first time I saw it, but the second time, yeah, I wasn't wasn't a huge fan of this. So. Yeah, overall I would say, yes, yeah, so I really like this film, but I suppose it's more a case of what Inyarishi's done in the past and what the individual actors bring to this film. And I agree with you that this was this was far too long, and it, by the end of this film I was thoroughly bored. Yes. Yeah, I, I think it's, for me one of the strange things was that I've seen this film before, I saw this film when it came out. Um, and I've got a pretty good memory for the movies that I've watched. And I went into this beyond remembering that Kate Blanchett got shot. I could not remember a thing about this movie. Yeah, I kept thinking. I when 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 it, uh, we we give spoilers quite early on in in these podcasts, but this is a spoiler. Um, it with the interaction between Chaco and the um, police officer at the end. I remember thinking, well, 
I don't know at all what's going to happen. Um, I, I completely I, forgot I, that there was a Japanese segment of the film. <laughs> and then I will, will with with her sort of entering naked. I thought, well, yeah, I I, I patted myself on the back for guessing that was going to happen, and I thought you didn't guess. You've seen it before. It was just weird. And then I thought she was going to kill herself at the end. Mm. I just seem to have forgotten a lot of this film. Yeah, I mean, I think I think you know, like I said I wasn't overly complimentary about Twenty One Grams last week. But I've often said on this podcast that I will always respect a film that tries to do something. Mm. And 21 Grams didn't hit home for me, but i got to respect that they were trying, they're out there trying to do something with this movie, trying to make... Whereas this didn't. It just, you know, I, I, I watched it and I talked about it today, but I, I can't think that I will I will mull on this film for a moment longer after we finish this recording. No. It just kind of went in and went out, and it didn't impact me at all. That being said, I think it, there, there is there are some interesting things to talk about with this. Um, mm. And the interesting thing for me, certainly, it's kind of it's telegraphed a bit in the title of Babel is the idea of communication and language, mm. because the film is it is literally subtitled for three quarters of the film. Predominantly, the film is either in Japanese, Moroccan, uh, Mexican, or Spanish, um, and then a bit, a bit in English with a few people here and there. But predominantly, it's in a, it's a, it's a a Hollywood film set in foreign languages. Yeah. Um, and even those ones, even within those storylines, there's a definite element of miscommunication. If you, I mean, just taking some of the Japanese one, even though it's in Japanese, obviously the main character is deaf mute. And so she struggles with communication at the best of times. And even within the world of her, of her and her, her deaf mute friends, there's a clear breakdown in communication. There's a, there's a scene in which she's clearly, you think, oh, I know this is going. They found a hot boy who is not freaked out by them being deaf mute. And they go out for the take some ecstasy and have this wild night out. But then you find that guy and one of her best friends making out in a club. And like you think, as a social circle, there's been miscommunication there. Like, you know, she was, she and, thought she was going with it, but she didn't. Yeah. And it just feels, and, and you know, there's all these repetitions throughout the entire film of the idea that even when there's a common language, even when there's a common language, there's still miscommunication. And even when you throw in that there's a, a separate language, it just compounds the miscommunication. I, I did think, actually, as I was watching it, that the Japanese narrative, and in particular that sequence in the nightclub with sort of flashing in and out of silence to mm. show you what she was experiencing, I thought that was brilliant. But that was, like, what, five minutes of the film? And yep. then it was, yeah, it was a bit disappointing other than that. But, yeah, moving on from what we thought of the film, I, I agree with you. There's this, so much of what this film does is about communication, miscommunication, and distancing the audience as well. I was thinking that right at the beginning, the the greetings in the Moroccan goat storyline, the Arabic greetings, they, they don't just say Salam Alaikum, they say more than that, but it doesn't get subtitled. No. So from the very beginning of the film, you, you're holding your Western audience at a distance. So this is, like you, you said several times, this is, a, this is a, and I agree with you, it's a huge Hollywood film. It's got Brad Pitt in it, it's got Kate Blanchett in it, but and at the same time, this is a film that's not made for Western audiences, and deliberately so. And it's it's, it's very interesting that it takes that sort of that discommunication, that the distance that sometimes will present as a as a film viewer, and takes it to the sort of the extreme, 
by making mm. this film so heavily that way. And it also doesn't explain doesn't doesn't actually explain a lot. Like, there isn't a lot of exposition in this. Um, for the uh, one of the three lines you see is that Brad Pitt and Kate Bridgett's third child died of mm. a sudden infant death syndrome, and that's never actually really said. You're, just, you're, just, you're supposed to sort of presume a lot, and so the, the story isn't communicated to the audience in any any sense whatsoever. You are supposed to just infer that, and you know, with Kate Blanche, it really gets one scene. Um, when they're sitting down to to have some food on on their tourist trip, and you have that, and you have one scene in which the um, the Mexican nanny speaks to the kids about about the brother, um, and that's it. That's all you get from that storyline, and it just you feel like the film is constantly just not quite showing you what's going on, and that does work in this idea. The idea that that, that Alan and Dodge put across is the idea that communication and language is so important because when you haven't got it everything goes wrong mm. to not actually communicate with the audience what the hell's going on at any point and you know we, we have the, the, I think there's that slight hangover from um, 21 Grams in the idea that you're not supposed to see that the, sto- the idea of the story of this gun is the story of the movie really mm. and the Japanese um, element it kind of you see an early early mention of it when they, they're meeting the goat herder and he um shows the picture of of a of a japanese hunter with him in the gun and but right, right, right at the end you get the last in which is kind of titled together but well, you aren't supposed to see everything's happening until until right at the end and the film does this work of trying to and like how do you tell a story when you adamantly refuse to tell a story yes yeah and i was thinking well that Kate Blanchett's only scene that you mentioned, the only scene when she's not in huge amounts of pain, was in that restaurant at the beginning, and that, and just after that, the response to that, they, she and Pitt say is so much when when they they're just sort of reconciling after an argument, and they're mm. entirely silent, and they're just sort of, sort of holding hands on the coach, and you think. That that scene there, I would actually, I would say in this film there are a couple of really beautiful scenes. Just I, I didn't really understand what the rest of it was doing, mm. and I, I would say that the Japanese scene in the nightclub and that scene with um, Piss and Blanche just before she gets shot on the coach. I think they were they were beautiful because of what they both say about breakdowns in communication. I think that that is, you know, that that is the through line through this whole film. But if you look at the uh, the Mexican storyline, uh, there's there's obviously this, this the breakdown sort of runs through the whole story. The, the early sort of communication of of the maid saying, "Look, I have to go to my son's wedding," and she can't communicate to to Richard, the big um, pit character, how important this is to her. And then the sort of the, the ending of that story is is the sort of the run from the border patrol. And there's this so many breakdown communication. The, 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 these two these two families, which are it all falls apart because of breakdown communication. In the idea of this role of auntie versus in charge of them, um, and you feel there's you feel there's some slight racism from the border guards side of things, but it isn't compounded by it's something by, by the by uh, Gail Benes, um, what's his name? Uh, Bernal. But, Banal, um, his 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 character um, making a break for it, and it just feels like they're, 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 they're both on the same. They're both trying to have communications, and there is obviously they can find some common language there, but because it's such a basic 
common language. Like his English isn't as good as isn't very good, and neither is their um, Spanish. It just never. It, and that's what leads to, the, to all the problems. That this breakdown just leads to everything. And and the the idea through the entire film, and it was highlighted again and again, is the idea that if you can't talk, things will go wrong. Hmm. Yeah. And is one I think one another really effective scene is is that scene with the with the border guards at the, at the checkpoint just before Bernard goes um, haywire. The when 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 they get this breakdown in well what does auntie mean and are they in charge are they nephews no and the sort of interaction between spanish and english and you think well and and you have a continuation of that with the officer at the end of the film and talking to amelia and he says well they're not your children and you get and the the really the really poignant thing about both of these things is that you completely understand both sides. You know exactly what the people in the car are feeling, and you've been in that position before. And yet, you also know on the other side how important these sort of racialized social structures are from the other perspective. Mm. So, it's just. One one of the ways this is, is parts of this film are so effective is that Inyaro two lets you see both sides of this and both sides of like you say the 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 one sad thing is that communication doesn't happen or communication fails to happen. And I think and that's the I mean there's often a, a, a I can't I think what the trope's called but the idea of an idiot idiot plot that could be solved by one phone call. Or it can be solved by one person telling someone else something. You know, so many mm. films, uh, you know, especially in the rom-com genre, can be solved by someone just going, "Actually, this is what's going on." Yeah, and this has that a little bit, but it's. I think it's 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 done well in the fact that the whole point is that even if this person this person does know the truth, and so is this person, but they can't communicate that because of all the barriers in their way. Even Brad Pitt's character, he can't communicate what he wants because of the rage. And there's mm. pain in his heart. He's lost his son. There's a chance he's about to lose his wife. And you know, the, you've got the other, um, the other sort of uh, the other tour um, members, the, the other tourists that are, are with him. And he's trying to sort of balance out everything that's going on. And, and the, but they they obviously they're they're scared. And and there's an inherent racism to their role a little bit that they want to go and see Morocco, but they have no interest in. Actually, being in amongst it, mm. uh, you know, the, the second they end up in, a, in an actual proper off the beaten track Moroccan town, they are terrified and can do nothing but try and get back on the road. And I think there's 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 this is sort of the idea that you know this idiot plot, as it's often called, is there, but it's just there, there's so many barriers between us talking. Um, and the, the, the obviously the original story of the Tower of Babel being, you know, they were trying to build a tower to, to, to reach God, and he messed up their language; they couldn't communicate, and they couldn't achieve their goals. And here, you very much feel the same same idea that the, the language, be it actual language, different languages, or sign language, or just not understanding, not being willing to understand what the person's trying to say, uh, is is causing all these problems. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it- in a way, this is the effectiveness of this film. It's just it, it's showing you 
And I, I think about the you you were talking about the idiot plot there and how it would have been solved and and the the solution at one point in the Gate Blanchard narrative is just get a helicopter in and then they can't get a helicopter in because there are political disagreements and mm. you think, Well, that's really sad because there's no disagreement there at all. Someone just needs to clearly say Look, there's this has happened, and to save someone's life, this this needs to take place. But say, it, it, this is where the I don't think that breakdown occurs in that Brad Pitt's character always thinks about his wouldn't get his wife out. But as you can see through various other sort of snatches here and there, is that there's a whole political situation going on between America and Morocco, and it's not that no one's hearing him that he just doesn't know the whole story, or he's talking a different language. Even if it's both English, he's talking about a different thing than the people that Emma's talking about. Hmm. and it's this idea that you can't unless you know everything you can't really talk about anything yeah. um, and and even if you're saying English and they're speaking English you're going to break down because there isn't a a commonality of, of purpose and commonality of language and, and intent hmm. so like you say not a I mean, not a film that both of us particularly enjoyed but one that's really interesting has lots of interesting things to say. Do you have any suggestions for other films this week? I do, and I, I've literally gone... Because I think I'm, I'm a bit burnt out on this kind of movie now, having done the, the whole trilogy of death, I've mm. gone very much now on the, here's an actor I like, here's a better film I think they're in. Right. Um, yeah. So the first up is the the uh, the Japanese storyline, which we have touched a little bit. Um, the main the main character, Chiko, uh, was played by Rinko Kikuri, I think her name is. I'm terrible with names, so I apologise if I've brutally massacred a, a, a Japanese name there. She is probably more well-known uh, for her somewhat leading role in 2013's Pacific Rim. She's played Meika Mori, um, the, uh, a girl saved from the uh, the kaiju by Idris Elba's character and goes on to be a Jaeger pilot in her own right. Oh, I love this movie. I think I, I've waxed lyrical about Pacific Rim since the day I saw it. Um, I worked very hard to know nothing about me before. I knew it was kind of about giant robots. That's all I knew. I, I, I avoided all trailers, all PR for it. And I went into it completely as fresh as you could be. And I just adore it. Really. I'm very much looking forward to the sequel next year, this year. Um, but she is one of the main leads in it. And uh, she's brilliant in it. She is, is driven and thoughtful and action well, uh, certainly an action hero in the making i don't know if he's, if he's returning for number two um i i once again i'm trying to know nothing about the movie before i see it but uh yeah that was that was one that i certainly came out of nowhere and really blew me away the second one and this isn't this is a an act i didn't realize until i went into actually looking at the imdb is the the young daughter of brad pitt and keith blanchett um is has grown up and gone on to be ellie fanning a actress of some renown in later years. She's very good mm. in this, and the two the two children children actors can, can can be hit and miss certainly, but here they're very good. And she went on to be a film, and I think we're actually going to talk about it later in the year. But I I will sort of show my hand a little bit and say that I'm a fan. And this is a film from two years ago, The Neon Demon from Nicholas Winding Refn. Now I'm a little bit biased here. I have worked with Nicholas in the past, and I am a fan of him as well as his work. But this is one of his more diversive films, as he's gone down this kind of neon-lit weirdness of his later films, Only God Forgives and Neon Demon. This is a 
it's a movie not for everybody. Uh, but Ellie Fanning plays a young model going to LA who gets pulled into the somewhat diseased and dark world, both physically, metaphorically, and visually, the world of LA modelling. Um, she is, in one hand, a sort of naive ingenue, and the other hand, an old, that sort of Machiavellian soul. It's very interesting a film. I'm looking forward to talking about it with Sam when we get round to looking at uh, reference some point later in the year. So yeah, those are my my two recommendations: uh, Neon Demon and Pacific Rim. What about you, Sam? Great. Well, like you, I have just about had enough with death um, <laughs> and Inarity's dreams of it. Um, so I'm I'm just taking an actor I like and riffing on that. Um, the first one I want to talk about is um, also from the Japanese storyline. It's the dad, and I thought I recognise his face, and I wonder where I've seen it. And he was an actor in um, a fairly recent um, samurai film, which I may have talked about before. It's it's not absolutely amazing. It's certainly not seven samurai levels of amazing, but it's it's worth two hours of your time. It's quite enjoyable, and it's I believe a, a version of the Seven Samurai story. Many others have been done since. Um, it's the 2013 film Thirteen Assassins. Um, my second recommendation is another actor that I saw and thought oh yeah I, I know you from somewhere where do I know you from um, and it's one of the the tourists on the bus that we mentioned briefly at the end there it's um, and it's I think he's notable for the fact that he pulls the main character away from Brad Pitt when they're about to fight uh, it's a tourist played by Michael Maloney um, and as I said I've, I've seen him before and I checked and he was in one of my favourite box sets ever um, it's a TV series from a few years ago called Utopia and Utopia is certainly the first season also the second season was pretty good I mean it wasn't as good as the first season but it was difficult to be and they I I don't know why but they cancelled it before the third season and I was about as disappointed as Rob was at the cancelling of Firefly I think um, it, it was just brilliant it was visually brilliant and there were some great acting performances and it was based around a really interesting idea like the conglomeration of um, like some weird niche graphic novel and also like global concerns national politics and interesting things to say about social exclusion and it was it was just brilliant um so my recommendations this week are for utopia and 13 assassins excellent excellent i don't think i've actually seen either of those social and them my to-do list so guys, next week we are finishing off our um, Alejandro Inato season um, with probably his his big breakout movie um, in the last few years, um, at least, and the one that went on to win, I think, a bunch of Oscars. Um, and that is the 2014 Birdman, or The Unabated Virtue of Ignorance. So if you haven't seen it, check it out before next week, and we'll be back uh, with that. 
If you want to come find us online, you can find both of us at Prestige Podcast. You can find just me at life underscore academic. And you can find just me at Rob Kaiju. Till then, we shall see you next week. The Prestige is a Kaiju Industries production. Check out their other work at facebook.com forward slash Kaiju Industries. Rawr! Arg.